Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert, we're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. Yes. So, Anya, what did we just watch? Well, Kevin, we just watched the first installment in the Crossword Mysteries titled A Puzzle to Die For, which, of course, aired March 10th, 2019. I remember I happened to be in a store one day, and I got a strong whiff of something that just reeked of Anya. And it was (laughs) the DVD of the Crossword Mysteries. And I texted you saying, do you want this? 
I think you texted back, yes, all in caps with many exclamation points, even though you'd never even heard of the franchise. My question for you is, and this will determine whether or not I'm flattered by that, talking about my stench, I, I want to know, what about this said, this is my wife? What about this said, this is Anya? So, what did you think of it? <laughs> you seem to be breaking up. Answer the question. You got to write down your answers in the box. Submit the submit the puzzle to me, and I'll grade it. Uh, you like the sort of uh, stories where, oh, it's a small town scrapbook lady, and she gets involved in solving crimes. You you like it when there's something where the lead character is involved in something banal, be it scrapbooks, baking. Uh, raising cats, running a bookstore, or doing crosswords. You like it with the combination of someone doing something banal and getting involved in a mystery. I, I, love, a, I love a cozy mystery, folks. I'm not going to deny it, and there's nothing wrong with that. I didn't say there was. Mm, not everything has to be hard-boiled. Mike Hammer. <laughs> Mike Hammer's The Crossword Mysteries. <laughs> So do do I am I more like a character in this, or more like a character in my camera? I think we're both more like characters in this. Okay, I guess a fair question is if if you're in a store and you smell something that reeks of Kevin, what would it be? Uh oof, that's a good question. So something about I think something about conspiracies, something about superheroes. But not something that's like too knowing about like old timey superhero stuff like Silver Age, you know, that kind of thing. Not not like the modern day, like, oh, what if superheroes were bad stuff or what if superheroes were gritty? So you see me as an elderly nerd with trivial interests. <laughs> and you see me as a, 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 a really nerdy woman. Like, I guess we I guess we see each other clearly. <laughs> before we before we talk about the movie, maybe there's a little bit of a cut to the chase thing here. Did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, it did. It 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 actually sometimes like you know in like in like Robin Hood adaptations where they'll be like, All right, this guy almost hit the bullseye. Nice try. Oh, this guy, oh he missed. Hi, huh? he sucks. And then Robin Hood in disguise comes up and just nails it. The, like right bullseye and they're all like oh holy shit and they're like that's robin hood that's this it was almost eerie how much it hit exactly every single line of dialogue every character beat every moment i could have choreographed because i knew they were like telegraphing exactly what they were going to do before they did it and there were no surprises so it absolutely hit every single expectation as one of those kind of hallmark movie mysteries it was actually startling and I'll, I'll say uh, early in the movie, you looked at me and said, oh, you know, Kevin, this is pretty good. And then by the time it was over, uh, you asked me and I told you we have a set of the first three and there was five of these. And you were very upset that we didn't have the, the complete series. You know why? Because sometimes you watch one of these and we previously on this on this fine program reviewed the movie The Christmas Detective. 
And that sucked. I mean, like, that was just bad. And I have no recollection of that. You blacked out. You were, when I found you, you were lying senseless on the ground in front of the couch. Your I eyes literally, rolled back. I literally have no recollection of watching that or discussing it. <laughs> we talked about it. There's an episode with you saying words about it out there on the internet. So, so I'm guessing it wasn't memorable for me. And this I don't think is memorable, but I thought it, this was higher quality than that. Like there's there's ones where they they know what they they have some people behind the scenes who know what they're doing and they know how to structure a story. And then ones like that one where it's just like, uh, and then they go to a bed and breakfast, you know, like and like this this is definitely in the camp of competent, you know, competent uh, hallmark mystery silliness. And uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it. It was very cheesy, very ridiculous. Uh, the premise is insane, and I just I loved it. It's like one of those like nice little mystery movies that you can just you know watch on a rainy day and you know drink your little tea and be like, oh, just stupid. I love these things. As long, but like it, it, I think it's harder. I think it's harder to. I'm very picky about them because, like, if it gets too silly, then I'm like, oh, this is dumb. Or if it gets too, like, it, it, it like has to really, like, walk the balancing act. You know, you can't have the characters. I mean, they're going to always be annoying characters. They're always going to be like, oh, I hate you. I hate you, too. Oh, oh no, we have to work together to solve the mystery. And, like, the, okay, like that's annoying. So they're always going to be a bit annoying. But if they get too screechy, you know, the and it's always a heterosexual couple, so the man or the woman, then then you're going to be like, oh, these people are fucking annoying. But they have to they have to work that out pretty quickly and they have to, you know, the premise has to be hokey, you know, and this one's very hokey. I mean, Jesus Christ. A art I'm gonna let me let me ask you something first. Yeah. Before we get into the nitty gritty yeah. of the plot, uh the the one of the lead characters works for a news organization in New York City. Right. Uh, you used to work in New York City for a news organization. You still work for that news organization. No longer work in New York City. But you used to go into an office just like this character goes into an office. So did it feel like what you know? No. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> well, can I give an example? Okay, please do. So I worked in a newsroom, and it was it was a nice. I, I only have really experience in the professional world in one specific newsroom, and it, uh, you know, it's kind of I I don't know how it compares to other newsrooms. I've been in other newsrooms as a visitor, uh, and then you know in college, but that doesn't count. But I, I and then as a trespasser a few times and then as a trespasser you were escorted out bodily a few times I recall absolutely can never go back to the Washington Post but it's one of those things where like you you know you kind of get different vibes in my employer uh, my my current employer I would say it, it, it's kind of like you're you're sitting with people you work with right with that and that makes sense and also let me note you just used the word sitting and in this newsroom no one was sitting the desks were all standing desks. Actually, that is somewhat, there was a phase, and fortunately, I didn't buy into this at all, but there was a phase when I was an intern where everyone was like, we're, you know, standing desks, standing desks, we're, we're sitting all day, we're sitting all day, we're sedentary, we're going to die, let's get standing desks. And then they all immediately like, you know, oh, what the fuck did we just do? And then they got sitting desks. So that actually, if this was, you know, I mean, circa 2016, yeah. There was a bit of a standing desk craze. I don't understand it. It was bizarre to me, but um, 
that's that actually seemed true. What didn't seem true was this is then this is a I, I kind of I appreciated that there was a reason for this, but it was stupid. They said, oh, crime, crosswords, both CR words, you know, the crime, the top crime reporter and the crosswords editor are going to sit across from each other. That's not how a newsroom works. You don't want to do that. You're going to have the crime guy sitting with the city desk and then and the news desk or something. I would assume that uh, a newspaper of any real size, a newspaper based in New York City, would probably have more than one crime reporter. That too. And perhaps the crime reporters would share a desk. And there'd or- be a crime editor or, or the city editor would edit crime and you'd be sitting next to him. So you want to have people sitting. With, and so having this cutesy thing where it's like, oh, it's CRs. I'm not going to I'm not going to complain too much. But yeah, that that didn't feel realistic. And it was a lot of like. Like. You don't really see a lot of like the, the actual churning of a newspaper. It's really that's that's just the setting. That's the. That's a that's a prop for the film. It's not really about this the New York Sentinel doing its stuff. And, and so also then at one point early on in the story, our, our heroine is the crossword puzzle editor of the New York Sentinel. Tess Harper. Uh, film produced by Will Schwartz. Uh, she's the crossword puzzle editor. And at one point, one of the top editors comes into the newsroom. And says, hey, everybody, we've had a huge increase in subscriptions. Great news for us all. And by the way, that increase in subscriptions is entirely because of Tess. So would somebody just come in to a newsroom and single out one employee and assign them all the credit for uh, success? I'm, I mean, okay, like, yeah. So that sort of stuff happens. <laughs> and actually, I think there's some truth to that. Schwartz is the, the New York Times crossword editor. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So uh, I actually think there's some truth to that. I think oftentimes things like crosswords can drive subscriptions. People want the cross. Like people become obsessed with that. So I don't know if that is a sizable dent in any newspaper, but I think there's actually maybe, I don't know. And then uh, we would have meetings where in the beginning the before it became a global sort of outlet where like the editors would like kind of say you know someone would come and like basically stand on the desk and be like uh you know Anya Kane just wrote the top story that got us you know a lot of positive attention and was very good so yeah there would be kind of things like that i mean they wouldn't be like Anya Kane is the Atlas holding the burden of our newsroom. We're all going to lose our jobs without her. I mean, it wouldn't be like that. But that's not what what this woman said. I'm just being silly. But I, I, you know, yeah, you might get some kind of praise and maybe maybe it's a bit of also management kind of being like, you know, everybody else step up a bit, you know. Newsroom also seemed to be pretty small. Very small. Just a few employees. Uh, one other thing before we get into the intricacies of the plot, uh, well, you know, at one point, the detective says, well, I need to work this case. And my first stop will be the crime reporter of the New York Sentinel. Because <laughs> he'll give me some leads. That, of course, is completely realistic. Uh, this, this was definitely written by someone who worked for a newspaper. <laughs> there, Obviously, there, they're the most, they're the heroes, the journalists. <laughs> there's a scene where, and we'll get more into the plot in a little bit. But there's a scene where the crime reporter. Harris. Good old Harris. 
he makes an astonishing discovery that potentially cracks the case. And so does he call his editor? Does he call uh, law enforcement? Uh, no, he calls the editor of the crossword puzzle page. Is that realistic? Well, I guess in this case, they kind of seem to have a bit of a thing going. And like maybe he was trying to warn her because she's now directly involved in that situation. So situationally, it didn't make sense until we found out who the bad guy was. But yeah, generally, I think also, you know, I think it was pretty unrealistic in 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 what happened with Harris. I'll I'll say. Then why couldn't he? He said, "Oh, I've had a huge break. It could potentially crack the case wide open." But I'm not going to tell you on the phone. I think, even though, yeah, I can say it in like a two or three words. And sentence. what is this guy tapping the phone lines? You know, like what is he worried about about the phone? Uh, to call also call the police because if it's a dangerous situation, maybe that's the best thing to do. Or perhaps even before you call uh, your crossword puzzle buddy, maybe make notes about it. Maybe send those notes to the cloud in, in an encrypted form that perhaps your editor has the key to, but other people don't. Take steps to ensure that your discovery will be preserved for the ages. <sighs> yeah. Why don't you tell us the plot of this thing? All right. So the plot... <laughs> Is Tess Harper. Tess Harper. She is the uh, the crossword puzzle editor. And she's got a bunch of shit going on because she also has to run a crossword puzzle tournament. And, you know, life is just a grand big old puzzle for her until one day when this guy named Nightingale who owned an art gallery is shot to death. And then... Uh, and this hits her hard. Because yes. it's very tragic, her connection here. Uh, this this victim happens to be acquainted in a business relationship with her aunt. I know, crushing. Her eyes are welling with tears. She's looking away. My aunt knows him. She found out from, like, the, the crime reporter, Harris, actually. And then that throws her in the path of one Logan O'Connor, the, the detective who is the, de the, the top homicide detective, the most solves in the city. And is also the nepotism hire son of the the chief Chauncey O'Connor, and I said that that sounded like the if uh, Kevin and I both don't drink, I'm an alcoholic. He just never liked alcohol. Don't like the taste of it. Don't like the taste of it. Never did. And, never did. But I feel like if you did ever get drunk, your alternate ego <laughs> would be named Chauncey O'Connor. That would be the name you'd be yelling out to people. As you got thrown bodily from whatever bar you were causing a disruption in. So just pointing that out, I, I, that's just how it strikes me. And there's a cliche in script writing. Uh, I think it's called something like uh, feeding the cat or something, where if you have an unlikable character, you, you show him feeding a cat or something early on. Petting the, the dog. Pet, or petting a dog. Because that makes it, hey, this guy, he's not so bad after all. And when we first meet Logan, he's supposed to seem a little gruff, uh, a little hard-edged. Yeah, rough around the edges. But we see him keeping a watchful eye on his dad's diet. So that's supposed to show us that he's a caring, sensitive man. What a wonderful man. He fat shames his father. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let him enjoy life's pleasures. <laughs> that's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. 
It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And on the, I don't know, that, that didn't really have the effect on me. I just kept on thinking, oh, is, it, is this kind of a, is this appropriate for the son to be, it's not a small town sheriff whose son is a deputy. It's NYPD. The father is obviously in some supervisory role over the homicide squad. And the son is a homicide detective. Is that, is that there, good? There's many precincts in Manhattan. Yes. Maybe have uh, the, your son work in a different precinct. Because I can imagine there were literally in the police department op times when uh, a supervisor has to make a decision to perhaps put one of his employees in a life or death situation. That's what I was thinking. And then we find out from this movie that another son, Peter O'Connor, was also a cop and he died responding died. to a call. So there's a lot of trauma here to unpack and there's a lot of stuff going on. But I, I just I didn't find it cute at all. I just found it concerning, frankly, because uh, and also, yes, the, the, the life and death matter. But also, I mean, like you're going to want to see your kids succeed. That's a normal parental feeling. So when it comes time to promote someone to lieutenant, uh, you know, and, 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 and you know, give someone the go ahead. I, I'm not going to be one. I don't want to be in the running against. So if, if you, so if you're one of the detectives working in this in this precinct, yeah, yeah, it's a problem. It's a huge problem for me, and uh, you know, but everyone, every <laughs> everyone's fine with it. Everyone loves it. So that's it's that kind of movie because it's cute. It's charming. Oh look, this detective is fat shaming his father. Yeah, your dad loves that when you come over and say. Leave the cake alone, Dad. I mean, who does that? I don't do that. No, you don't do that. That's just ridiculous. You sh no one should do that. And if if there's if there's something you're concerned about with your parents' diet, maybe publicly humiliating them in front of everybody around is not the way to go about. And certainly, with it. like if a husband did that to a wife, he would be publicly. Everybody in the room would go silent. There would be <laughs> horror. That's what happened last time you did that to me. <laughs> You as have you, a real problem with this, Kevin. As you know, I've never done that to you. I think you're exquisite. Oh, thank you. So are you, boo. But 
yeah, it, it, it's 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 a failed pet the dog moment. Uh, and of course, of course, you know these two start clashing. So you know because of her really strong connection to the the art gallery murder, aka her her aunt barely knew the victim. This girl starts inserting herself in the case, starts saying, you know, because one of the one of the clues is that the man died with a crossword puzzle in his jeans pocket or something, and all the cross clues are written out in cursive. And so she's like, that's, that's not how most people do crosswords. It's all connected. You know, she goes kind of like conspiracy brained and the detective is sort of rightfully like, get the fuck out of my way, which is a good reaction in my opinion to that kind of bullshit. I mean, she's just like the universe is channeling all these messages. Like, Oh my God, get the hell out of here. And like, this is a homicide investigation. You can't sleuth it. Get the fuck out of here. But, you know, like, they're going to hate each other and then they're going to fall in love. You know? And have little crossword babies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little Tass, little Logan. <sighs> I, it's, it's so ridiculous. Uh, and one weird thing the movie keeps doing is, like, she goes on adventures with the detective to solve things. And then bunch of people will be calling her like you need to get down to this tournament it's the most important thing yeah there's a crossword puzzle tournament that used to be run by some old man and now it's going to be run by her and there's two people in the tournament one of whom looks vaguely like jared kushner and the other one has just a little bit of ivanka trump energy not a lot but just a little bit but the guy looked a little bit like gerald kushner right gerald kushner <laughs> Jared's brother. Did he look a little bit like Jared Kushner? I, I mean, he looked like a nerdy white guy with brown hair. So, so very much like Jared Kushner. I thought the woman. I don't really see the Ivanka Trump comparison. Just a little. She's bit. blonde. Yeah. I think you have facial blindness. <laughs> but the movie wants us to think they're guilty, which of course means they're not. Yeah, the movie keeps on being like, these guys own a yacht. And a lot of the cross... So basically what they figure out, the detective and the crossword editor working together, is that somebody has hijacked the fucking New York Sentinel crossword clues, because you can write in clues, and they're using it to... So yeah, let's explain this. So she writes about half the puzzles. The other half are submissions, which she says she edits and editing often involves making changes and also as the editor she gets to decide when the puzzles run oh i see where you're getting here this little so the puzzles are being used to communicate to a gang of thieves where a person uses a pseudonym to submit puzzles which then always run on the Monday before a crime. So since they don't have control of her decisions about when to publish it, and they don't have control over whether or not she might make a change here or there in it, that system seems badly flawed. Or she's in on it. <laughs> so you're saying Tess Harper, who you love, you love this woman. You wanted to find happiness with Logan. You want to see all of her adventures. Now you're saying she might be a killer. 
She's like the the Kaiser Soze of the crossword world. I'm just saying, because like, what if like, uh, can't you see that scene like right like just at the end of the movie they solve the crime, blah blah blah, and she walks away and says, you know, see her around, and he's like, all right, and then he's sitting there and he's like looking. Wait a minute, wait a minute. She had to approve of all of those. Those only ran with her permission. She never made a single edit to anything, and she always chose ran to it run on the perfect date. Yeah. And then she, he starts running after her, and then she's just kind of skipping off into the night. I mean, that's the the only way you have the New York Sentinel crossword puzzle hijacked is with her knowledge. Yes. And in this universe, the New York Sentinel seems to be a very major big news organization. I think it's basically supposed to be the New York Times. Yeah, and they didn't explain it away by being like, oh, no, no, I... I, I consider crossword puzzles sacred i don't edit them unless there's like factual edit you know errors she's like yeah i i edit them i you know you see her in the beginning editing something changing the words around and how would you even know that she would accept the puzzle you submit frankly kevin i think it's outrageous i think she was she was she's complicit in this i busted this thing wide open i know we need to call detective logan detective Connor, Detective O'Connor. His name is his name is Logan O'Connor. But you don't call, you don't, you wouldn't call me Detective Kevin. You'd call yeah, me you're detective, not a detective. <laughs> you'd call me Detective Greenley. So formal, so fucking formal with me. Your wife. Would you say Detective John? Or would you say Detective Smith? He's not real, Kevin. <sighs> detective Kevin. Detective well, I'm Logan. With, I'm fine. You with think he's fucking Wolverine? Jesus Christ. He's not Wolverine. Do you know Wolverine and he's no Wolverine, sir? Yes. I've known Wolverine since before you were born. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Is this the part of the rom-com where we, like, hate each other and are arguing? (laughs) Oh, wait, we're already married. This is just life now. So yeah, that seems to be a pretty significant plot hole to me. And let's talk about something that I kind of, I'm always fascinated with, uh, you know, in terms of not being realistic. Uh, I'm always fascinated with, as a journalist, I'm fascinated with the uh, the depiction of journalists in, you know, fictional media. Because I think it really influences, um, like most things, it, it, that influences how people view certain occupations more so than the actual reality. Right. So people think it's much more exciting to be like a cop or an FBI agent than it really is. And also people think that and I've had people say this to me. People think that like journalists drop dead left and right in this country because of not because of like workplace violence or something like that, which does happen, unfortunately, but also happens in every occupation. They think it's because, oh, no, 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 you, you uncovered the big secret and people are coming to get you. And that's, you know, very, 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 very rare exceptionally rare but i'm not spoiling anything because we're you know we're going through the whole movie but at some point harris the crime reporter he stumbles onto something big he calls the leading lady she blows him off because she's doing this stupid tournament thing he makes a bunch of photocopies and then he is murdered in the newsroom and everyone's kind of like yeah you know he's getting too close and it's like this would be a really big fucking deal if this act you know like, like what the fuck you know what I mean? Everyone was a little bit too blase. I mean, she was really upset about it emotionally, but nobody was saying, like, what the fuck? 
So, so I'm curious, you worked at a newsroom in New York City. Could, like, I, just a random man from the street, just stroll up and enter the newsroom? No, they had, I mean, well, I mean, they had security in the lobby, so no. I guess if you, I I mean, I and, like, if, if you somehow stole somebody's badge you could get up there or like something like that you know what i mean like if you like were heisting it maybe but you'd have to really put in a lot of effort i think you couldn't just walk up there i would assume if i stole someone's badge they would then have a record let's say i stole anya's badge they would then have a record oh anya entered the newsroom at this time you say oh that wasn't me but oh you know kevin was messing around with my purse like an hour before that'd be a pretty big clue also Cameras everywhere. Cameras everywhere. Because it wasn't, I mean, I don't know about the New York Sentinel. It ha- they, they have the New York Sentinel on the building placard outside. But it seems like in a, if a big reputable newsroom, I mean, like there might be people trying to hack stuff or, you know, like uh, like security risks that don't have anything to do with murder necessarily. And, and you know, to have it be like they're just kind of. Yeah, you're, you're doing stories. You have sources maybe you want to protect. And also... You don't want other news organizations to know what stories you're planning to run next, whether they're big stories or innocuous stories. You don't really want your competition to know that. You don't want to give them that heads up. So it just seems like just seems like poor security and it led to a workplace tragedy here. But yeah, so Harris dies. She's very upset about it. I like that she was upset about it because I feel like in a lot of these movies, people would be like, oh, well, another body hit the ground. On to the mystery. <laughs> Before that, you were positing some sort of romantic triangle between Tess, Harris, and Detective O'Connor. She seemed to really like Harris. She seemed to be like, oh, he's there every day. We have this kind of, you know, like, workplace thing where we kind of banter a little bit. She seemed really into Harris at the beginning of the movie. So I was kind of like, huh, that's kind of unusual because normally, like, they want to make the main person, like, seem really, really single with no options. So then they're pushed together with the main man. So do you think she had a relationship with Harris? I think she wanted to have a relationship with Harris. But no, I don't think they had a relationship. Harris wasn't into Tess. Either Harris wasn't into Tess or it was just like maybe they were both dating other people at points and it just didn't quite, didn't quite, the timing didn't work out. Or maybe it was one of the, you know, maybe it would be like a slow burn thing. But I don't know. I mean, it just, that was what I picked up on. So you developed this whole backstory for the two of them. Yes. <laughs> and you can check out my Tess slash Harris fanfics on Archive of Our Own. So did they, they meet originally at the Sentinel? Did they like go to college together, work on a student paper together? No, 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 no. They don't have that much history. They they met on the Sentinel. Uh, you know, they both think what each other does is really cool and they and they kind of have a nice connection in that sense and but it's always been like they once you know they're dating different people and it just never they're never single at the same time but there's like a nice vibe there and then they you know and then unfortunately it ends in tragedy (laughs) (laughs) so they never got together never never just had a secret stolen moment of bliss one late night in the newsroom what do you think journalists do in the newsroom at night? Well, you've told me some stories. Oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> the weirdest thing, you want to know the weirdest thing I've ever done in the newsroom? 
Well, no, I'm I'm not gonna. College doesn't count. In a professional newsroom. Okay. You don't know the weirdest fucking thing. Okay. It's really sad. <laughs> Say it. Well, okay. Well, now I guess I've set myself up for this. Um, so I had to go to like DC. I don't remember when. I actually don't remember. I I know this happened, but I don't remember when it was or what the real. I know I had to get on a train to go somewhere. Maybe DC. I'm off. I was often going to DC, and I was like, "Oh, I don't like. I don't want to have to schlep from my where I was living in, you know, far away, basically, to Penn Station really early in the morning, and like basically my train's leaving so early in the morning that I'm just gonna crash at the fucking newsroom. But I didn't want to sleep because like that's creepy. So I was. I just stayed up all night in the newsroom. And I watched Deadline USA starring Humphrey Bogart. So then if you stayed up all night, were you like exhausted? The I next slept day? on the train. Isn't it like a 20 minute trip? How long? I mean, is, is, is it a From short... New York to D.C.? How long is it? A few hours? It's no, it's like it's like eight hours. Really? Yeah. Okay, 20 you... minute trip. You're thinking of a plane ride. Okay, you see, that was the weirdest thing. And then you say, oh, oh I, I guess college doesn't count. So what was the weirdest thing that happened to you in a college newsroom? It didn't happen to me. I did it because I was really sleep deprived. Again, we're, we're sensing a common theme. One time, because I thought it was funny, I like put on a Edgar Allan Poe mask and like danced the twist. Were there other people in the room or was it just you alone? No, there were other people in the room. What was their reaction to this display? I think they were just kind of like, yeah, that's Anya. There was no laughter, no nervous laughter. I'm sure there was a lot of, I think there was often a lot of nervous laughter around me. And, you know, understandably, given what I, what that, doing that kind of shit. But yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah. And I wasn't drunk. I was, you know, I, I think I was just being silly. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very odd person in some respects. <laughs> Do I give like do I give off like those vibes? I feel like people I I, I don't I never always like I I know I'm really weird, and I always wonder and like sometimes people act like no like you really have it together and it's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're not gonna answer that what, that, what, pu- that puzzle I I think you come across as being a strong beautiful intelligent intimidating woman. A hardy professional that intimidates other people. Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Not like a total freak nutcase. You have a silly side to your personality, but obviously you do very uh, great work in uh, whatever area you work in. And I've never been murdered over a fucking crossword puzzle. Well, not yet. Not yet. That's coming. <laughs> Kevin's going to murder me if I make him watch more of these movies. <laughs> It wouldn't be a surprising way for you to go out to be murdered over a crossword puzzle. Yeah, I think. Isn't that kind of on brand for you? Yeah, I married you because we connected over a a murder, basically. And so I think I think if one of us or you know both of us got married, murdered over a crossword puzzle, people will be like, "Well, that's that that's how that was going to (laughs) end, inevitably." (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! What? I think if we moved to like a. A small town and got involved in like it got like got murdered as part of like some like oh this this person's murdering people with poisoned you know spe- special teas I think that would 
that would kind of be like, yeah, par for the fucking course. Yeah. Cozy mystery lifestyle. It's very dangerous, obviously. You know, but, you know, this movie has incredible shit. Like, they start, you know, the, the detective goes from realistically skeptical about this woman and what she's saying to, like, hey, you know what? We should use your idea for, like, criminally profiling the killer using the fucking crossword puzzle. So do you think that's because he is won over by the sagacity of her mind and the strength of her ideas or because he wants to go to bed with her? Well, you're a man. Why don't you tell me? Well, you just had a big presentation on how I'm face blind. I don't understand things. I didn't say you. People who are face blind understand things. I just think you were over. I understood what you kind of the sketch of what you meant with Ivanka and Jared, but I just the details aren't there. the The general outline is correct. The details aren't there in terms of facial resemblance. That's all I'm saying. I I think he got a little too. I think he was interested in her because one of the. Believing in her, one of her ideas at one point involved them like going out and enjoying drinks together outside of a museum. Yeah, so he just wanted he wanted a date out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd like to think both, but <laughs> you bring up a pretty valid point. Her ideas weren't really that good. His dad was okay with it, probably because his dad's like, "You need to find a, you know, get settled down, son. I'm gonna get a daughter-in-law out of this deal." <laughs> And that's why you shouldn't work for your dad. Yes. You know, he's going to be like, ah, fuck the investigation. Just have fun. And the detective just seems to be making some bizarre decisions later on. I remember at one point after Harris is murdered, they're like, okay, we're going to post a squad car outside of your aunt's place. You should stay with your aunt, you know, because it might not be safe for you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay, yeah. And then she comes out and she's like, and it's the detective. And he's like, oh, were you there all night? And it's like, and he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry. I was just like asleep in my car. And it's like, well, what's the point of the fucking? If you're just sleeping out there, that's not exactly guarding her. He just wants to get the credit. Yeah, he he's like, I want... Oh, Jesus. And, like, we know a decent amount about crime, I would say. What do you, What are your thoughts as an officer of the court on the... On the okay, Okay, what were you going to say? <laughs> Excuse me, I didn't mean to... <laughs> I'll say mine, and then you say yours, and then we'll figure out what to answer first. Okay. The appropriateness of a detective falling in love with a civilian witness. Person who's, in the beginning, outside of the murder case, but then has a connection to the second murder victim, and it's kind of like on the surface, like maybe a witness. I, I would say he clearly had some feelings for her. She clearly had some feelings for me. You, she was really talking. I, 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 I so I would say that he clearly had some feelings for her. She clearly had some feelings for him, but they were very good about keeping it more or less on a strictly professional level. Yeah, I was impressed by that with it. Like it, like he, maybe he made some dumb decisions based on liking her, but I don't think they crossed any real ethical boundaries here. They did not cross. They did not cross ethical boundaries together. There were a few times where each of them crossed some legal boundaries separately. And, and that, that's what yeah. I thought you were going to Oh, talk. I see what you mean. So there, there was one point where there is a woman in the case who might be a suspect. And she refuses to talk to the detective. 
she wants him to contact her lawyer. He doesn't want to bother with those sorts of uh, formalities. So he says, oh, this person happens to be a friend of your aunt. So why don't your aunt invite her out to lunch and ask her the questions I want asked? So basically, he is having the aunt act as an agent of the police to get information outside of normal Miranda-type situations. Now, there, there, are, there are certainly cases where you know, people go undercover and stuff like that, but this wouldn't fall into one of those categories. If the woman had made some sort of damaging admission to this other character, they wouldn't have been able to use that in court because a competent defense attorney would have gotten that thrown out. So that was uh, sloppy and unethical on his part. And then later there is a scene where Tess begins to suspect that uh, an old man is the secret villain. And he is doing a little crossword puzzle, and then he takes a break and leaves the area, leaving a bag behind. And so then Tess goes searches his bag and discovers some incriminating evidence. And I think any competent defense attorney would say, we well, you know this woman Tess has very clearly been operating in concert with the detective and with the police. She's given him leads. Uh, they've conferred together. They've come up with plans together. They've gone on stakeouts together. For all intents and purposes, she is an agent of police and this is an illegal search, it should be thrown out. So you're saying the case against Pierre, the old man, who turns out to be some master criminal using the crosswords to steal art with his brother, who he then murdered because he fell into debt. You're saying that the case against him falls apart immediately. They couldn't have used that evidence. They lose the gun. They, I'm sorry, they lose the shells found in a small owl-shaped pouch in this man's bag, and they lose, uh, well, I guess the other thing was against another suspect, so that doesn't matter. But fortunately for them, he subsequently confesses to the crime and attempts to murder Tess. So they've got him on that stuff. So even if the, even if the other murders fall apart, he, he's, he's gone because it's attempted murder. And he confessed. And he confessed within earshot of Tess and within earshot of the police officer. Well, there you go. And that's the end of the story. And they have a scene where Tess and Logan say a lingering goodbye and each turns and looks over their shoulder at the other as they're walking away. But they look at different times and neither one knows that the other one looks behind them. And You were yelling kiss during that scene. I was talking to you. Really? Oh, you wanted a kiss from me? Yeah. How romantic. When you want a kiss from me, just like, kiss, kiss. <laughs> That's my right. <laughs> That's your husbandly rights. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What I have to deal with. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you were turning into the ant because the ant was like, I'll leave you two alone. I actually kind of thought it was interesting that like they didn't have them kiss at the end. They didn't have them get together. And it felt like it felt like kind of like building off the vibe of the like where they, they there's like, you know, they kind of like they're flirting. They kind of like each other. But like she just lost this other guy she seemingly was interested in. She's kind of sad about that. Someone just tried to kill her. So it felt respectful that the detective wasn't immediately like you know, make out with me now. Or like, hey, you know, come on a date with me. That would have been inappropriate. So he was, I think, a gentleman for not asking at that point. So you respect him. I respect, I, well, I mean, 
I think he I think they had there was an appropriate boundary there. And I think that's that's something that this maintains. So a lot of these kind of silly, goofy romance mystery type things, like when you really look at the relationship under a microscope, you're like horrified because you're like, this is horrible. Like he's stalking her. You know, she's stalking him or this is really they're negging each other too much. But this like in the end, it was kind of like, you know, yeah, you go to some therapy sessions. I'm going to go, you know, get this murder case filed for the D.A. and maybe we'll see each other. But what hangs over both of them is the fact that their relationship inspired him to commit some unethical acts and inspired her to commit some unethical acts. So if they really do get together and work to solve other crimes together, I'd be terribly concerned about the ethical transgressions that would result. They're going to they're gonna really throw a lot of constitutional rights into the, into the shredder along with all the rejected crosswords. <laughs> Here, here's the thing, Kevin. I'm going to say this to defend them. You love those crazy kids. No, I, I love them. But I'm going to say this to defend them. And it's not defending them individually. I'm defending them as a couple. They both were doing unethical things that I feel like they would be doing alone. Like, I, I would want a review of some of Detective uh, Logan O'Connell's, O'Connor's. O'Connor. Whatever. Sorry. I'm Irish. I should know better. Logan O'Connor's um, past cases because he, she doesn't ask him to do anything. He's just very quick to be like, oh, have your aunt go out with this lady. Now I'm going to. So you suspect the fact that he's working for his father allows him to get, get away with some stuff. I think internal affairs is going to be all over this shit. They're going to be looking into the, and they're going to be like, why the fuck was he allowed to work for his dad when there are like a dozen other precincts that he could have easily gone to? And also, let's not forget, before he really gets involved with Tess, he goes to the murdered man's funeral service, and he's like interrogating mourners there who are also suspects without Mirandizing them or without even identifying himself as a cop. And that's before he... Yes, as yeah, I said, that's yeah, before he got involved with her. So, I think he's just a bad cop. So you have no respect for him. No, I don't. He knows, he knows how to treat a lady. Doesn't know how to do his job. He's a gentleman, but he's not an officer. Yeah. That's my thinking. Now, defend her. She's snooping around. And also the fact that she was snooping around in the old man's purse. <laughs> <laughs> the satchel, it's a bower bag. You have one. It took her forever to close the bag. That was embarrassing. But the fact that she did that alerted him that she was onto him and put her life in danger. And meanwhile, Detective Logan O'Connor, he's already figured it out. He's on his way back. If she just, you know, played it cool for a few more minutes, everything would have been fine. Instead, she's like, I have to make a call. Then she goes into like the darkest, dingiest corner of the hotel lobby where this thing is being held. And he's obviously able to, you know, force her up to the roof at gunpoint. And you're like, just stay in front of all the fucking people in the fucking tournament. Like, she's, she's supposed to start the second round. So just be like, all right, guys, you know, take your pencils. Go ahead. She's supposed to be smart. And if you... You're in a crowded area, and a man with a gun wants you to go into an empty stairwell. Maybe do everything you can to stay in the crowded area and attract attention to yourself. Then they could have got. I mean, I feel like as a as the writers, they they could have gotten away with that. Like he could have like pulled the fire alarm. They're all going out, and he grabs her on the way out. Then it would be more of like out of her hands. But like that's her- how you'd kill somebody. <laughs> that's how I have killed. <laughs> <laughs> that was the craziest thing you did in the news. Oh yeah. 
pull the fire alarm. They all pull the fire alarm routine. No, I, I think, so they both kind of, on their own, they're both kind of ridiculous, dumb characters. But I, I did I did like the kind of the boundaries at the end. And, and it would have been kind of weird if, like, she's, like, really upset by her friend. Dying. Dying. She's really upset by all this shit. Like, you know, she's upset by people trying to kill her. That's understandable. So if she was just like, at the end, like, yeah, none of that matters. Let, let's make out. Then that would have been, you know, it would have meant, meant, made it seem like less of a big deal in retrospect. Yeah, I always find it odd in movies and stuff where uh, I remember I haven't seen the movie JFK in years. But there is a scene where uh, the protagonist, Jim Garrison, is played by Kevin Costner, sees uh, the news coverage. that Oh, my God, Bobby Kennedy has been shot. He's not going to live. It makes him sad. And then he goes up and has wild sex with his wife. Wait, what? That's how I remember that scene. And I always it's like, what? I think maybe uh, they were trying to go for some, oh, I'm sad. Here's some life-affirming, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to put my semen in somebody. But it just, yeah, it just didn't, it, it's it's odd. So, yeah, th- this was, yeah, give the person space works better. Yeah, I think it just seemed, uh, it was a good character choice. So I feel like, I feel like there was some talent and thought put into this one compared to something like The Christmas Detective, which you obviously blacked out. Because after I die... You're going to wait a while. You're not going to be making eyes at the first detective who comes walking in. Because that'd be realistic. I don't even know what I'm saying. What are you saying? <laughs> no, after you die, I'm going to make wild and passionate love to Jim Garrison or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> what was the Christmas thing about? That was about a woman reporter whose dad went missing years ago. <coughs> Excuse me. And she has to, when her mom dies, she like tracks her dad down and it turned out he was a detective who went missing because his partner was corrupt and they were going to, and he was going to, they were going to bust a big politician guy, but then they didn't. So we went off on a boat and they, he just went missing, but then her mom, her you know, they the daughter thought he was dead, but the mom knew, and they always wrote Christmas cards to each other. Is that the one that we watched because of your obsession with John Ratzenberger? Yes, John Ratzenberger was the villain. And like when you say when you say it out loud, this is you know the difference, right? The crossword editor at a New York newspaper helps a detective solve a murder. Boom, you got your whole concept. Great. What I just said with the Christmas detective, I mean, good God. Try to make sense of that one. What I mean, that just seemed like it was written like somebody freaked out, realized they had to draft you, and like cranked something out in like half an hour. That thing was barely legible. Yeah, I'm scrolling through our episodes. I remember most of these. Tell no tales? That was the one with Melvin Douglas. Oh, I remember, remember that, that one. one. Now we're just looking at our greatest <laughs> hits. <laughs> and that wasn't a greatest hit. What about the big combo? That was a funny one. I made a very funny Walmart joke in that episode. The big combo was hilarious. So have we uh, wrung everything out of this thing we can? I feel like I feel like uh, I feel like we have. Bring us home. Can you first, can you first, before we go, can you say your amazing joke about 
the titles in the DVD that we that you bought for me at Walmart in this in this current series. It, it like feels like there's a limited number of things you can do with a crossword based mystery. And like this one, oh, there's clues to murder and thievery in the crosswords. And the second one is like, oh, it's something about a marriage proposal in a crossword. And then the third is like, uh, what if a magician dies? (laughs) 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 So we have a lot to look forward to, clearly. So... I would say that I will be puzzling over a puzzle to die for for some time. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s. So all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.